welcome to episode 100 of Bee Boomer Unleashed, the commercial side of Christmas through the years. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's episode, let me remind you, as I always do, where you can find our podcast. You can find us on beeboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed, on iHeartRadio at B.BoomerUnleashed. You can find our link on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram at Be Boomer Unleashed, on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleash One. And as always, we encourage you to drop us an email at BeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com. That's BeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com. Give us your comments, your criticisms, your suggestions for future episodes. And as always, if you'd like to be a guest on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast, give us a call. Let us know what you'd like to talk about, and we'll be happy to do our best to get you on the show. Now, last week I announced that in 2021 we're going to be doing our good news segment, 52 segments of just good news, nothing negative Nothing to make us feel bad, but uh, we need some good news. We've listened to nothing but bad news for months now, and we're going to hopefully come up with at least 52 episodes next year of nothing but good news. And uh, down through the decades, good news stories from each year as we go down through the decades, and some good news stories of today. And uh, there's lots of good things happening around about us and uh, folks who have stories of good news to share, some local, some national, some international, but we're going to be sharing those. And we're going to try to get as many guests as we can possibly get on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast next year. And I hope you'll consider sharing one of your favorite good news stories with us on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast. If you would, drop us an email and we'll do our best to make that happen. Well, today's episode, episode 100, and it's hard to believe we've done 100 of these episodes already. Uh, It's just unbelievable that we've posted that many episodes, but today is episode 100. Today we're going to talk a bit about how did Christmas become so commercialized. And uh, then next week, today we're going to talk about the commercial aspect of Christmas, And then next week, we're going to talk about the real reason for Christmas. And we're going to read portions of the Christmas story and tell you what the good book says about the real meaning of this holiday we celebrate called Christmas. Well, how did Christmas become so commercialized? I mean, I think you would have to agree with me that it's commercialized, wouldn't you? I mean, usually about after Halloween, they start putting their Christmas decorations out. Well, back in 2015, uh, Sean Hessinger uh, wrote an article about that entitled, How Did Christmas Become So Commercialized? And I'm going to share excerpts from Sean's article today as we go down through here. And then after we get through this article, I'm going to talk about some of the favorite commercialized toys that were popular Christmas gifts down through the decades. Well, Sean Hessinger says, From gift wrapping to Christmas trees, department store Santas, and beyond, what started as a religious holiday has taken on commercial significance. 
Entrepreneurs, marketers, and businesses, large and small, have certainly all played a role. But how did Christmas become so commercialized? Well, the first thing he talks about are Christmas ornaments. F.W. Woolworth, Woolworth first brought glass ornaments from the German cottage industry to the mass market in 1880. Imagine that. He bought $25 worth of those ornaments to put in his store, and they sold out almost immediately. That was up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They all sold within two days. So we come forward 10 years after that, and more than 200,000 glass ornaments made from more than 6,000 recorded designs were being imported into the U.S. The rest, as they say, is history. Then we talk about Christmas trees. First documented Christmas tree in the U.S. was recorded in 1747 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, at the Moravian Church settlement where uh, it was reportedly a wooden triangle covered in some evergreen branches. Christmas trees have certainly evolved, haven't they? They've evolved from going out in the woods and chopping your own tree down to see who can buy the prettiest and fanciest and multicolored tree. Uh, that you can decorate and and uh, put up for public display, but um, certainly the Christmas tree has been a big business over the years. It's commercial. Not only do people sell live Christmas trees or freshly cut Christmas trees, but the artificial tree business is quite a boon to the economy. Boon to the economy. Well, Santa Claus, Santa Claus as we know him in the early twentieth century, Santa Claus. Uh, he was otherwise known as Claus in Dutch, was a rather spooky-looking guy and certainly not a jovial fellow uh, that we've all come to know and love in modern modern times. Well, what, what's changed about that? Well, nothing really other than the influence of Coca-Cola and some well-executed holiday marketing. Coca-Cola ads featuring Santa Claus first began, when do you think? 1920. Can you imagine that? Saturday Evening Post ran those Coca-Cola Santa Claus ads, and by 1931, Santa was making appearances in Coca-Cola ads in popular magazines, but a more wholesome Santa was desired. It was then that Coca-Cola commissioned an illustrator by the name of Haddon Sundblom, and that year, in 1931, a more jolly Santa Claus appeared in National Geographic. How about that? Ladies Home Journal and the New Yorker also picked up that illustration of of Santa Claus. And he became this ho-ho-ho jolly fellow that uh, is pictured in those ads. Well, then enter Rudolph. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This little guy wasn't born under a hemlock tree in the forest. No, no, no. Rudolph was also named Reginald. And he was born at Montgomery Wards. Yep, Montgomery Wards. Montgomery Wards is no longer in business, but Rudolph lives on, doesn't he? He's another example of genius marketing. Time just right. Rudolph was born from a massive marketing campaign in 1935 in a book written by a company advertising copywriter by the name of Robert May. The purpose? Drum up newspaper coverage. Very commercial. The book, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was authored on May or by May and was given away for free. More than 2 million copies were distributed during a time when 50,000 was considered huge. 
Then, how all the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history. Well, they certainly did. And, and of course, Gene Autry made that song popular, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then there was Black Friday, starting right after Thanksgiving. And uh, it started as a tradition uh, back in the 60s, really, early 1960s. Really didn't catch on much until about the 1980s. Uh, But the first documented uh, use of that term, Black Friday, was in 1961. Now, then we come along with uh, the Internet. It comes on the scene, and, well, they have a Black Friday, so now we're going to have a Cyber Monday and Small Business Saturday. So when it comes to Cyber Monday, this, too, was birthed for marketing. By Division of National Retail Federation Shopping Organization 2005, and then along in 2010, the Small Business Saturday promotion was created and sponsored by who? American Express. Imagine that. You got American Express in your pocket. Uh, then we have candy canes, Yule Log, cake, all these things uh, added into the commercialization of Christmas. And then we have the shopping mall or the department store Santas. They started in 1841. Can you imagine that? At a Philadelphia store that had a life-size model of Santa Claus that drew children to it. This spawned a trend in which store owners offered opportunities to see a real live Santa. I remember as a kid uh, going and sitting on Santa's lap and uh, uh, boy, oh boy, remember those days? And uh, still goes on today, I guess. I guess you got a social distance now, though. Probably won't be able to sit on Santa's lap this year. you have to stand six feet away from Santa and say, Hey, Santa, I want this for Christmas, won't you? But, uh, of course, Macy's department store in New York City was a big deal on uh, with Santa Claus. And by the 1890s, the Salvation Army had begun the practice of sending Santas into the street and ringing the bell for Christmas. So uh, Salvation Army Santas came on the scene. Christmas cards. Wow. One of the best examples of commercialism and now a multi-million dollar industry is the Christmas card. And it dates back to 1843. The first commercial Christmas card was put out by Sir Henry Cole. Then we have gift-giving. Gift-giving has its roots in pagan rituals held during the winter, the Christian Science Monitor reported. Also, the 12 gifts associated with Hanukkah have contributed to the gift-giving bin for the season. Then in 1966, we have the Yule Log TV program. New York City, they filmed the fireplace of Mayor John Lindsay at Gracie Mansion, the official mayor's residence. The fireplace was aired with easy listening music in the background. The station canceled advertising and a roller derby show to air the fireplace, which became an iconic image for the holiday. So we've got, uh, let's watch the fireplace on TV. Then, of course, Christmas cookies. What about the tradition of Christmas cookies? Culinary Life noted cookies have been around a long time. They have probably originated as drops of grain paste spilled on hot rocks around the fire, but they became associated with Christmas. In Europe in the 1500s, gingerbread was a similar food. But uh, Christmas cookies. Who doesn't like a good Christmas cookie? Wow. And a gingerbread house. How about that gingerbread house? Christmas dinner, when it comes to the tradition of Christmas dinner, 
It was reported that the rich would have eaten goose and woodcock for Christmas dinner and the king's per- and with the king's permission, a swan or two. The birds were covered with butter and saffron, then roasted. The poor could sometimes get goose from the church, although it would cost up to seven pence, which then was about a day's wages. Venison was also on the menu uh, for the rich, and sometimes the poor would be allowed to have a deer's leftover part, such as the heart, liver, tongue, ears, and brain. Wasn't that nice? Wasn't that nice? Then along comes Elf on the Shelf. Hey, how about Elf on the Shelf? Alternatively, Panda is creepy and adored as a fun holiday ritual. The trademarked Elf on the Shelf dates back to 2005. My granddaughter today, one of my granddaughters, said she first saw Elf on the Shelf. It really creeped her out, so he was kind of creepy, I guess. Uh, Then we have the store-sponsored parades. You know, the great Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with no people this year, I might add. Uh, Wow. How do you have a parade without people? And somebody was talking about a drive-by parade where the parade stands still and people drive by and watch. Uh, I don't know. I tell you, this COVID thing, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Just a little side note. COVID, it's real, but it's all about control. I just couldn't resist saying that. But uh, wrapping paper in some cultures, most notably Japan and Korea, goes it goes back many centuries. But here in the West, wrapping paper presents um, or dates back to at least the Victorian area uh, era. And today, wrapping paper. Now listen, to this wrapping paper is a two point six billion dollar industry. Imagine that people just rip it off and put it in a trash bag and throw it away. billion a year in the trash bin. How about that? Then department store window displays, Santa's reindeer. Uh, Where did, uh, you know, Macy's uh, really started uh, store window displays uh, back in 1862. And uh, in 1874, he created one of the first major holiday window displays with a collection of porcelain dolls from around the world. Santa's reindeer, where did Santa's reindeer originate? Well, uh, the website altogetherchristmas.com said the first known written account of reindeer in association with the legend of Santa Claus occurred in 1821. That year, New York printer William Gilly published a 16-page booklet titled A New Year's Present to the Little Ones from 5 to 12, Number 3, The Children's Friend by an Anonymous Author. In the book, Reindeer are introduced in the Santa Claus narrative. So, Reindeer, how about that? So, it's gotten increasingly more uh, commercial over the years. Never waste a good holiday, you know, to sell something, you know. And other holidays have never quite caught on quite as big as Christmas. It's a big deal, uh, but uh, it's certainly gotten commercialized. And, you know, it really makes me sad. People in stores, they'll say, Happy Holidays when you check out. And I always say, Merry Christmas. And some of them will give me a Merry Christmas back if I give them a Merry Christmas. Some won't. They're afraid to. Afraid they'll get fired for saying Merry Christmas. But with me, it's okay to say Merry Christmas. Back when we used to have the UPS store over here on Route 60, around Christmas time, we all wore big badges that said, it's okay to say Merry Christmas. Uh, It's all right. We need to see 
say Merry Christmas, don't we? Instead of Happy Holidays or Best Wishes or something like that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, now let's take a look at some of the most popular gifts by decade. You say Christmas is commercialized and Christmas gifts is part of that commercialization. Well, let's look at some of those popular gifts by decades. And, you know, anything from the Red Rider BB gun to Beanie Babies to Nintendo Wii or to the latest and greatest video game, history has shown that the most popular toy was the only toy to give your kids on Christmas. Remember back when people fought over Cabbage Patch dolls and other toys? Uh, Well, uh, with timelessness, fun, and imagination, these toys have proven that there isn't a Christmas unless there's a hot toy on sale. Let's take a walk down this memory lane and see what we had. Well, 1910, the 1910s, it was the teddy bear. One of the classics that's still popular with kids today, the teddy bear has certainly stood the test of time. From the Paddington Bear to today's Build-A-Bear workshop, this is one of Christmas toys fad that isn't going away ever. Uh, The toy was inspired by an incident in which President Theodore Roosevelt refused to shoot a black bear named uh, Morse Mitchum, hence it was named the teddy bear. So... Teddy Roosevelt. Thank you, President Roosevelt, for giving us the teddy bear. Then we fast forward to the 1920s, uh, the yo-yo. Like the teddy bear, the yo-yo is still a popular toy today. Uh, Founded in 1928 by Philippine-born Pedro Flores, the yo-yo was first sold to children in Los Angeles. And within a year, Flores' company was producing 300,000 yo-yos. And, uh, wow, imagine that. Yo-yos. All of you boomers at one time or another had a yo-yo, didn't you? When you went to elementary school, I always had a pocket full of marbles and a yo-yo. Uh, sometimes a slingshot. But usually a pocket full of marbles and a yo-yo. Also in the 1920s was Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys, you remember Tinker Toys? You could put those together. And then along after that came Lincoln Logs. Well, we never could afford Lincoln Logs. They were for the rich kids. But I did have Tinker Toys. And you could build a lot of neat stuff if you had enough Tinker Toys. But I never got the giant box. I got the kind of small box Tinker Toys. So you were limited on what you could build, but it was still fun. And then uh, after the Tinker Toys, along came the Erector set. That was that was great fun, too. And... Um, The uh, Tinker Toys were really made for children who um, really couldn't manipulate the Erector Sets. You know, uh, the Erector Sets came along a little earlier than the Tinker Toys, but so the little brother and sister needed something to play with, so they came up with Tinker Toys. Uh, Raggedy Ann, also in the 1920s, this popular red-headed doll is the perfect uh, ode to nostalgia. Still found in people's homes today. Uh, 1930s and 1940s, anybody remember the Shirley Temple dolls? Wow, Shirley Temple, what a star. What a child star and what a gracious lady she grew up to be and did a lot of good stuff in her lifetime. But she is, without a doubt, the most popular child star ever. And uh, there was a Shirley Temple doll. She... The popularity of that doll lasted for two decades. 
And uh, the company that made these dolls reported $45 million in sales. And uh, annually, and the and the doll only cost about two to six dollars. Costs over fifteen hundred dollars today on eBay. If you can find a Shirley Temple doll out there in the garage somewhere, put it on eBay. You might get fifteen hundred dollars out of it. Then the Red Rider BB gun that was also a popular toy. Remember Ralphie in the classic film A Christmas Story? Don't shoot your eye out. He thought he'd shot his eye out, didn't he? And then Slinky. Boy, oh boy, Slinky was uh, 80 feet of wire coiled into a two-inch spiral. And uh, who knew that would become popular? But I had a Slinky. Uh, they were great fun. You had to be careful with them. You could, if you kinked a Slinky, if you had a kinky Slinky, you might as well throw it away because they weren't any good after that. So you had to be careful, not get that thing knotted up and get a kink in it. Uh, actually, the Slinky was an accident. It was created as a toy. Um, after the inventor knocked one over, uh, knocked one of his sensitive springs over that was made for ships, and he watched it walk down from its spot instead of falling. So uh, uh, found a toy in something that was originally made for a ship. Then along comes Legos, one of the most popular toys in history. Legos started in Denmark in 1949. Great business and a great educational toy, I really believe, for kids is Legos. I don't know if you've ever been to a Lego store somewhere. There's nothing but Legos, but it's just incredible what they make out of Legos. Then in the 1950s, along came a hula hoop. Everybody had a hula hoop, didn't they? Could you hula hoop? Can you hula hoop today? I used to be able to make that thing spin around my midsection, but not so much anymore. But it was uh, really an iconic symbol in the 1950s. And then there we had Mr. Potato Head. Anybody ever have a Mr. Potato Head? Do you realize that the first Mr. Potato Heads were just a bunch of eyes and ears and a mouth and stuff, and you stuck those pieces in a real-life potato? Any of you remember that? You put it in a real potato. Um, And Hasbro, I think, was the ones who marketed that toy. And uh, then they said, well, Mom was getting tired of finding rotten potatoes around the house. So uh, they came up with a plastic spud to take the place of the real potato. Then there was Barbie for the little girls, every little girl's favorite toy. The Barbie doll was introduced in 1959. How about that? Based and named after her daughter, Handler created a world that every little girl yearned to be a part of. If the doll wasn't enough, then along came the Barbie dream house, the Barbie car, the Barbie motor home, you name it. But they were first available in 1959 as blonde or brunette, and they wore black and white striped swimsuits. And there was a big business in Barbie clothes and Barbie accessories, and there still is to this day. 1960s, along came an Etch-a-Sketch. I had an Etch-a-Sketch back in the 60s, loved that thing. Still have one today. Um, can you do cursive writing on an Etch-a-Sketch? I can't. Can you write your name in cursive on an Etch-a-Sketch? Have you ever cleaned every little bit off of an Etch-a-Sketch? Take that thing up, go over an eighth of an inch, come down and see what's behind that. all that stuff so you can see the workings of Etch-a-Sketch. Well, I did that once too. And uh, it's really interesting. 
just got a couple of rods and some pulleys in there, and up and down it goes, and it's it's kind of neat, a great invention. Then in the 1960s, G.I. Joe, everybody had these G.I. Joe action figures, the Easy Bake Ovens. Every little girl had to have an Easy Bake Oven. Um, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you remember those? They'd knock each other's head off in a, in a boxing ring. Then in the 1970s, there was a speaking spell uh, for parents who wanted their kids to have a perfect spelling and grammar when they got older. So here comes the speaking spell, an educational game, right? And then there was Pong, not beer Pong, but Pong is one of the first video arcade uh, games used uh, using 2D graphics. And it was a little old blip, you remember, it went across the screen and you came up and paddled back and forth. It was like a game of ping pong. And uh, we we really thought that was something. That was something. Then in the 1980s, there was the Rubik's Cubes. Rubik's Cubes are still popular today. Uh, they're kind of aggravating. A lot of people have no problem working them. It takes me a while to work a Rubik's Cube. Also, My Little Pony in the 1980s and Cabbage Patch Kids. Remember those? No, you just couldn't get one. Uh, then they had Polly Pocket, little teeny Barbies in a teeny Barbie world. Polly Pocket was cute, creative, and fun. Very small figures came with a Pollyville, uh, but they were easy to lose, but still, the kids enjoyed them. Then there were uh, Transformers. Uh, remember those? You'd take a robot and transform it into a car and back and forth. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a toy that was very popular. Nintendo came along. Of course, they certainly evolved over the years. Uh, then in the 90s came along Game Boy, Beanie Babies. People collected Beanie Babies. Tickle Me Elmo. Have you ever seen a Tickle Me Elmo? I've got a little Tickle Me Elmo robot that I get out about every Christmas and set it up for the grandkids to look at, and he falls down on the floor and giggles and stands up, and it's an amazing little toy. Those were hard to get, too, back when they came out. And that's called uh, Tickle Me Elmo. Uh, Furbies. Remember those crazy little Furbies? Wow. Uh, and then there was, um, um, uh, in the 2000s, come the Razor Scooters. Every kid had to have one, and most kids broke their arm on a Razor Scooter. Or Dad broke his neck on it trying to ride the kid's Razor Scooter. Brats, they were the anti-Barbies. They were the nasty girls and... Uh, they were deemed too sexy for little girls to play with, and they were released in 2001, but unlike original Barbie dolls, they were multi-ethnic, and the four main characters were Chloe, Jade, Yasmin, and Sasha, and they became a hit, and they sold $125 million in the toys' first five years. Then um, they had something called Juju Pets, I don't really remember the Juju Pets and then the Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, PlayStation, iPod Touch, iPad, iPhone, i this, i that, and the electronics have taken over. Kids don't want bicycles anymore. Kids don't want board games anymore. They want some video game, some mindless video game that they can, they can play with. So commercialization of Christmas. Um Christmas really became commercialized, didn't it? Um, and, you know, it's okay to have fun at Christmas. It's okay to 
give and receive at Christmas. It's okay. That's that's fun. It's a fun thing to do. One of my favorite parts of Christmas is what we call our white elephant Christmas exchange, where we usually have a party after Christmas and give something away in a in a contest wrapped up and everybody gets a mystery box and it's something that nobody would want. <laughs> and that's a lot of fun. But uh anyway, those are uh, those are some of the popular gifts, uh, some of the popular toys through the decades. Uh, and uh, I think there's enough, that's enough said about that because certainly, certainly we can all agree that Christmas has been commercialized. Well, next week, our episode before Christmas, our pre-Christmas episode, is going to be about the real meaning of Christmas, what it's all about. Who do we celebrate and why do we celebrate that? And we'll be reading portions of the Christmas story. A few years ago, my wife and I were in New York City, and we saw the Radio City Rockettes Christmas program. And it was a great thing, a lot of old Christmas songs, lots of songs from the 40s and 50s, and, of course, you had the Rockettes dancing. And then they had a live nativity scene in New York City. Imagine this, a live nativity scene, Radio City Music Hall. And they read the Christmas story from the King James Version of the Bible. Imagine that. I don't know if they still do that or not, but I know I was impressed. And next week, we're going to talk just briefly about the real meaning of Christmas. And then we're going to read to you from God's Word, the Christmas story. And uh, something you might want to play for your grandkids uh, on Christmas Eve. Just download it and play it for them because we're going to read the Christmas story. I never tire of the Christmas story. Well, it's been great being with you folks. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed being here and taking a little walk down memory lane about the commercialization of Christmas and favorite gifts over the years. It's good to have a break not talking about the election, too, isn't it? Well, that's all we're going to talk about today, and I hope we see you guys again next week for Episode 101 of Be Boomer Unleashed. But until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye. Goodbye.